Welcome to the Mike Litton Experience Podcast. Mike has over 31 years experience in real estate, finance, and investing. He's passionate about being a father, a teacher, a realtor, an investor, and a leader. Everyone has a story, and our passion is to help them tell it. And now, introducing the host of the Mike Litton Experience, Mike Litton. So what can you expect from the Mike Litton Experience? You can expect stories that will inspire, motivate, advice that will sharpen your focus, and expert information on real estate, finance, and market conditions. Thanks, Anchor. Thank you for being on the Mike Litton Experience, man. Hi, Mike. I really appreciate it. It's great to see you. We don't see each other often enough, but appreciate you being here. And like I told you before we started, our, we know that everybody has a story, and our passion is to help them tell it. And so with your permission, what we'd like to do is just start with where you were born and go all the way up to today. And we can talk about anything you'd like to talk about at that point that's happening today or you're working on for tomorrow. Does that work? Sounds like a plan. So where were you born? So I was born in Iran, which is a place which is way, way on the other side of the planet. Yes, it um, is. I remember 30, 40 years ago when someone asked me, they would say, you want where? Yeah. I think by now, almost everyone has heard about it. Yeah. Um, maybe uh, for some people in a positive way, in a negative way, but whatever your take is on it, that's where I was born. Okay. And um, Did you grow up there? I lived in Iran until the age 15. Okay. Uh, then I went to Germany for a short period of time, because okay. I spoke German at the time, and okay. I was going to finish high school, and that didn't work out. And then I um, immigrated to England. So I grew up in England from the age almost 16 till the age 29 okay. when I um, moved to the U.S. And okay. I've lived here ever since. So what made you move to the U.S.? Um, you know, if, if, if you heard about what happened in Iran in, mm-hmm. the, you know, in the 1970s yeah, and with all the that stuff, and, yeah. and most of my family kind of uh, not by choice, you know, left Iran and they moved here to the U.S., right here in San Diego, California, did, yeah. and they've lived here ever since, mm-hmm. since the mid-70s, late 70s, and uh, I was living in England at the time, and of course, you know, it was kind of that chain migration, and after much persuasion, they convinced me to give up the, the cold and rainy uh, climate to move to California, and... Um, but that happened years after. So. That wasn't that hard a choice. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot nicer here. So, so you move here. So, let me ask you this. So, growing up, mm-hmm. what, who was the most influential person to you growing up? So, um, I'll answer that question in two ways. Okay. Right? Uh, I remember as a kid, uh, I remember vividly, I was 10, 11 years old, and I would watch kind of people here in America on television, and then of course Hollywood did a really good job marketing the U.S. And the image that people have of the United States outside of the U.S. is really uh, palm trees, uh, beautiful beaches, Mm -hmm. and blue skies, and and everybody's walking around, you know, completely uh, with a nice suntan. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the image that, that you have. Right. That's a good marketing plan, by the way. It is. Um, I think Hollywood did a really great job. <laughs> and I remember as a kid watching, um, um, what's his name? The guy who was a famous uh, Hollywood star, and he always used to ride a motorcycle, James Dean. Okay. Had a poster of him on the wall. Okay. And he was like this guy that... that you know, I said, someday I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grow up and I'm going to ride a motorcycle like James Dean. So that wow. was, that was one, one, one person. And um, outside of that, um, you know, I didn't really have an idol per se, but I knew that, you know, someday I, I wanted to make it, you know, yeah. to the U.S. And I, I wanted some of the things that, that, I, that, that other people had. Yeah. Uh, didn't know how, didn't know when. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had this 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 kind of deep desire that that I that I wanted to you know be a part of that lifestyle. Gotcha. Okay. So when you were growing up in in, in it's Iran, right? Iran. Yeah. When you I always pronounce it incorrectly. Uh, but when you were growing up in Iran, what was your favorite thing about growing up there? You know, it was it was. It was home, mm-hmm. right? It, it, it's, it's where my roots are. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Iran is a, it's, 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 it's a country with a, with, a, with a very, very extensive, you know, cultural mm-hmm. and, and historic background. 
Uh, at the time, I, I couldn't tell the difference because that's all I knew. That was right. the world I, 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 it was familiar to mm -hmm. me. Um, but I would say, you know, the, the, the very close bond among family members is, is what I grew up in. And still to this day, that's something that's very important to me. Okay. Of course, the food. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's off the chart. I it's still amazing. love it. It's amazing. Um, but I would say, you know, culture, the diversity. And, and back then, this is, this is pre-Iranian uh, uh, revolution. Uh, Iran was going through this, this, this um, very robust, kind of an era of, of being industrialized and mm -hmm. modernized and there was a lot going on. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I remember as a kid not understanding the, the political climate, but I could see that a lot of people were becoming wealthy overnight, mm -hmm. everybody's driving nice cars mm -hmm. and people are traveling outside of Iran and so on and so forth. Um, so I wanted a piece of that. Sure. And I grew up in a very humble family, so my parents couldn't provide me those those opportunities, I knew that I had to go find it on my own somehow, okay. somewhere. Okay. So somewhere other than... than... That's what it felt like, that it, okay. it, that it was going to be outside of the country, okay. uh, for reasons that I can't explain. Okay. So growing up in your family, who was the most influential person in your in, to you growing up in your family? Sure. So I am one of six children in my family, so I'm the youngest and, and the oldest is my sister. So okay. I remember as, when I was, um, you know, in my... Uh, early, early teens. My mm. sister was already married, and, and at the time, you know, her husband was a developer. So they were, you know, they were uh, they were living a very good life. They were constantly traveling all over the world. So I remember my sister was kind of my idol, and 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 she's the one who would tell me, "Hey, listen, you know, there's a world of opportunities out there. You just have to focus, do good in school." And uh, and so watching them. Kind of seeing how they they had formed their life, I think that must have had a lot of influence yeah. on me without knowing at the time. Yeah. But now that I think back, I would say definitely my sister. Sisters are good for me. Yeah, and my brothers are very driven too. They've all done well for themselves. That's good. Um, so being the oldest, I had a lot of kind of um, people ahead of me that mm -hmm. I was looking up to, sure. kind of watching what how they were living their lives. Yeah, that's awesome. So you had examples going on. There, yeah, quite a few good examples. That's awesome. Yeah. So you moved to you moved to Germany, then you go to England, and you're in England for a while. So what was it? Where did you study in England? So um, just, just to put things in some context, so I, I went to Germany because I went to a German school mm -hmm. in Iran. So I spoke German as a second language. Okay. So the idea was I was going to go to Germany, finish high school, get a four-year college degree, and back then, if you know anything about back then, the idea was. You get it for your college degree. Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter from where, but from some Western university, mm -hmm. preferably some sort of engineering. Right. And then you go back to Iran, you're guaranteed a job and a great mm -hmm. life. Yeah. That's all you had to do. That was a path of travel. Right. And then living in Germany for about seven months, you know, I found out that the, you know, for a kid at that age, you know, the, the lifestyle was Germans are, are very disciplined. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I found it a little harsh at the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I decided to, to um, try England. Of course, didn't speak a word of English. So mm -hmm. went there as a 16-year-old kid, really with no family, no support system, did not speak the language of the land. So, so I had to learn English within six months. So what were the two languages you did speak? You spoke German. I spoke German and I spoke Farsi, Farsi. which, okay. is, yeah, which okay. is the native, my, my, my native language. Right. And I still speak it. Yeah. Not, you know, right. In, right. Enough, enough to get by. Yeah. And then I had to learn English. Okay. So so that's how I that's got quite started. An education. Yeah. And um, but somehow there's something about being youthful. You mm -hmm. you, you you learn things really really mm -hmm. fast. So I want to say that probably within six months I was fairly fluent. Gotcha. Um, in British English. So if you knew yeah. me back then, you know I spoke like a perfect English gentleman. Oh, oh well, there and you go. I, I I almost had to you know in order to kind of integrate myself in. Yeah. into the British society because I didn't want to be kind of seen as, a, as an outsider. I, I gotcha. wanted to be, you know, one of the people. Gotcha. So what was your favorite thing about living in England? You know, England still has a very special place in my heart. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was cold, rainy, but I loved it. Mm -hmm. um, I think what I learned from the, from the, from the British people was, was the, um, the discipline, mm -hmm. uh, attention to detail. Mm -hmm. 
and, and I think that to 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 a large degree, you know, it, it formed who I am today. Mm -hmm. um, and um, and I love the British uh, English countryside. Mm -hmm. um, I I love the cultural diversity, especially because I grew up in London. So mm -hmm. it's uh, you know. Uh, even back then, I mean, certainly more so today than, right. than ever, but even back then, I remember uh, London was a very diverse community. I mm -hmm. mean, and the idea of me, um, you know, being exposed to, to all kinds of cultures, okay. I think that was one of the unique aspects of it. And London is a, it's a cosmopolitan city. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at that age, it, was, it certainly provided all kinds of opportunities. Yeah, I mean. That's cool. So you leave England, you come to San Diego. Is it San Diego you come to directly? Flew in right into San Diego. Okay. And so when you come to San Diego, what do you do? So the idea was, um, by then, of course, most of my family had moved here, specifically my brothers and my sister. They had been here for about 15 years. So okay. the idea was, um, if you want to do well in America, what you do is you start a family business. Mm -hmm. And there were certainly quite a few examples of it back then. So I came here with this idea that we're... we're um, you know, the four brothers were going to get together and, and start a family business, which we did. Um, but that didn't last very long because, you know, um, being a family member and, and doing business together don't always uh, go hand in hand. <laughs> yeah. so it's it was a special a good, family to be in business together. Yeah, uh, but it was a great opportunity. So, so we, did, we did do that. And then after a couple of years, I decided that, you know, I needed to go on my own and kind of figure things out. And what I was the business? So, <laughs> I can't tell you how we ended up, but we started a chain of dry cleaners. So okay. We don't know. Okay. And still to this day, um, my family, they own a fairly large chain of dry cleaners okay. in San Diego County. Okay. Um, and I, I, I don't know how the heck we ended up in that business. We knew <laughs> nothing about it, but we're all very entrepreneurial. Yeah. It was a, it was a lucrative business. Mm -hmm. And so we kind of took the old idea of a, of a, you know, dry cleaners and we modernized it and really put a completely different feel and look to it. Mm -hmm. So if you go to one of our family um, dry cleaners, one of the locations, you'll see it fully automated. Mm -hmm. um, so, so that was the idea that we're going to take something that, uh, that was a lucrative business. Mm -hmm. um, hard, hard business though. I mean, mm -hmm. working seven days a week, long hours. Yeah. Um, but it didn't require us to um, having been born and raised here, mm -hmm. because some some businesses would require you to have a deeper understanding of the environment that you're in. Yeah. But it was it was a, it was a business that that allowed us to fairly quickly jump right in. Okay. And we did very well. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, we expanded the company fairly quickly. I mean, at one point, uh, we had locations from as as far north as. Um, Calls that all the way down to the city of Chula Vista. Wow! So, so it really became a, a phenomenal business model. Um, but then, you know, it just wasn't what I wanted to do. But I certainly learned a lot. It was gotcha. a great starting point. Okay. So after after the dry cleaning experiment and the and the experience, what's next? So after leaving the business, uh, the family business environment, uh, probably within a um, eight year span. Mm -hmm. I probably started, founded, um, ran, managed, some I ran them to the ground. Probably a good 12 to 14 different type of small businesses ranging from restaurants, bars, nightclub, uh, newspaper publishing business, mm. uh, print shops, uh, business services, logistics, um, you name it. I, I probably had a hand in it, mm -hmm. but that was a time of my, my life where my brain was was working much faster than what I could keep up with it, mm -hmm. and I was just full of all these ideas, and mm -hmm. and um, and I think by then I had acquired the taste of the American lifestyle where, you know, innovation and ideas mm -hmm. can ultimately take off, and, and I remember I had a mentor, he said, hey, listen, um, here's the way you have to look at it, you got to come up with 10 ideas. And if one of them work, mm -hmm. you got it made. But if you don't come up with those ten ideas, nothing will ever work. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of on this on this drive to to try and find something that I could be really good at. Okay. Uh, and that meant I was going to try many many different things. Sure. Um, 
Some worked, some didn't, but every one of them taught me a valuable lesson. Yeah. Again, it's really That's an important. accumulation of all those experiences that allowed me to, you know, be you sitting succeed, here. You succeed or you learn, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So once you once you went through that time frame, then what happened? So what happened was along the way doing all this stuff, um, you know, I remember I, I, I had a small business in, in, in San Diego and uh, I remember my phone rang and back then we didn't have cell phones. The shop phone rang and, and our, our employees said, hey, there's somebody here on the phone to talk to you, mm -hmm. somebody from the city. And I thought, oh my God, what do I do now? Yeah, all right. And, yeah, you get some goosebumps. Yeah, yeah, and it turned out to be at the time, it was a gentleman who was running for office for, okay. uh, for the city of San Diego council office. Okay. It was somebody from his campaign that said, hey, I'm so-and-so. And I had no idea. And yeah. I, 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 I knew nothing about the American uh, political system. I was just a business dude, just right. trying to make a living. Right. And he said, you know, uh, this gentleman at the time, you know, um, um, he wants to meet with you. Mm -hmm. And I said, why? He says, you know, he's going to be running your district and he wants to learn about your business. and. See what what are the issues that as a, that as a business owner you deal with. I said fine. So he stopped by my shop and he introduced himself and I said yeah, nice to meet you. And he goes so you know I, I hear you know and I've, I've talked to some of the other local businesses. I hear that you're you know you're the guy that people come to and you know if they have an issue and you're good at you know solving problems. I said, well, not really. I mean, I'm just a very active guy. Mm -hmm. And he said, yeah, but is it true that people come to you and if they have a problem, let's say with parking in front of their, their business, you know, you can help them kind of navigate. I said, yeah, you know, I'll just pick up the phone, I'll just call around and find out what we have to do to fix it. He mm -hmm. goes, okay, that's great. He says, I'm going to be running for council office and um, I wonder if you would um, kind of bring some of the business community together so I could talk to them. I said, sure. What do you want to do that? They go, mm -hmm. how about next week? I said, okay, let's do it on so-and-so day. So I went around, talked to some of the local businesses. I said, guys, we should come here so we get to know this guy. Sure. Fast forward, he um, he won the city council seat. So wow. he became council district two, which was much of downtown San Diego and uptown area. And, and that's kind of where I used to do business. Mm -hmm. So he was elected to office. And a couple months later, he called me. He said, I'd like to invite you to come meet me at my office. So I, I said, well, that's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I went down there. I remember I went to the to the 10th floor. And, mm -hmm. you know, and he was by then a council member. Went to his office. And and he said, you know, um, I'm like kind of impressed with the way you think. Um, I've made a commitment or, or, or a promise to my constituents that if I was elected to office, I was going to help revitalize the small business communities, uh, one of which that I had, you know, a couple of businesses in. Okay. Um, how do you feel about helping us do that work? <laughs> I said, sure. Like, what does that mean? I, I have no idea. Yeah. Anyways, what that resulted was I helped establish a couple of the... You know, earlier on in San Diego, what, what they're known as the BIDs, Business Improvement District, okay. which we now have, I think, 20 plus of them yeah. in San Diego. So the idea was when they were developing malls, you know, a lot of people were, were no longer shopping in, in local business areas. Right. So small businesses were really struggling. Mm -hmm. So they created these special assessment districts, but it took a lot of organizing yeah. for businesses to come together and so on and so forth. So. So he asked me to help organize a couple of them, which I did. Okay. They passed. And he goes, well, how would you like to come and work and run one of these? Mm -hmm. And I said, he goes, by the way, you know, you get paid. Mm -hmm. So anyway, that was kind of sort of the path that I, that I ended up on without okay. really thinking about it. <laughs> and I ended up five years later, then I got hired to set up uh, the first parking district in San Diego. Okay. Then I set up a couple of BIDs. Okay. And then in 2000, I believe, I got hired by then um, the San Diego Downtown Partnership, which was a fairly affluent mm -hmm. uh, business association. Yeah. And they hired me as the first executive director to form the first property-based improvement district in downtown San Diego, which wow. is still 
to this day, and it's called the Clean and Safe program. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was hired as a guy, and I spent about a year working with property owners, trying to organize this, going through the voting process. The district uh, was established. Then they asked me to stay on mm -hmm. as their executive director. So I ran the district in downtown. This is all pre-Petco Park. Right. But the idea was that, that they wanted us to kind of pave the way, deal with some of the social issues to sure. attract you know, private investment. Wow. Um, so, so that was kind of sort of how life took me in a whole different direction. Yeah, amazing how that works. Uh, you so. know, from being a small business owner. But, but I, I guess now that I think about it, it was all those small business experiences mm -hmm. that really prepared me to step in that role. Yeah because I knew what was going on. I was boots on the ground. I, I knew full well what property owners, business owners, tenants, landlords have to deal with day in, day out. Mm -hmm. uh, because I walked in those shoes for many, many years. Yeah, many miles, yeah. So I wasn't just coming at it from, a, from academia, if you will. It was really hands-on, roll up your sleeves, and go out there and, and, and identify the problem, but then create a solution for it. Well, it sounds like you did that in small business. And that basically, that your ability take, brought you into government, and so you started doing that for the government, what you had been doing for your own small business, I think and for other nice, businesses. It was a nice like. transition. Yeah. It certainly felt comfortable to yeah. me. It felt like, oh, this is what I do every day. Yeah. I'm, I'm just applying my skills in a, in a different format. That's awesome. That's awesome. Man, we need all the help we can get with local government, right? I mean, seriously, people like you are absolutely invaluable. So. So you so you're in you're in government, and you've been in government now with the city for how many years? I've been doing that off and on. Gosh, almost six, seven years. Yeah. I've been in you know around um, kind of BIDs and and local government, very much local. Gotcha. Is that the time that and I may be skipping ahead, but is that the time? Because our one of our previous podcast guests worked with you in your campaign. That's how you guys met. Yes. And so I'm. Am I skipping too far ahead, or is that? Yes. Nice? So there's a there's a there's, <laughs> there's, there's an area, and so so from there, then I was fortunate enough that I was um, recruited by the Jacob Center for Neighborhood Innovation. Okay. Uh, which is a fairly large foundation right here in San Diego, yeah. as their uh, economic development director to help the Jacob Center kind of launch what they were doing at the time, which was a fairly large uh, uh, re uh, redevelopment project, or mm -hmm. revalorization project in South East San Diego. Right. So I, I decided to, to leave downtown San Diego Partnership and work for the Jacob Center for almost 10 years. Wow. And I was with them for, for throughout, um, you know, it was a 15 phase redevelopment. I think I, I was in on through phase four. Mm -hmm which turned out to be, you know, we developed a, uh, a commercial uh, shopping mall, you know, with Food for Less as a major mm -hmm. and anchor tenant. We developed an office building and a number of entrepreneurial training programs, mm -hmm. which was kind of my passion. And it changed the way Southeast San Diego, Absolutely. Was, I mean, the entire landscape, it changed um, it completely. But the, 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 um, the, there are a lot of people that are developing a lot of great projects, you know, across the U.S. But what was unique about this was, at the heart of it, was creating a um, an ownership opportunity mm -hmm. for people that lived in that community. Yeah. Because the idea was the foundation was going to use its funds to develop, and and at some point we were going to sunset. We're going to write the last check, mm -hmm. transfer ownership of all the assets yeah. to the community. But along the way, the idea was that we we're going to train them right. for ownership and taking over the businesses and so on and so forth. And we were going to sunset, turn the lights off, and we're we're, we're out of there. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't stay towards the end, but certainly that that was the that was the intent. That was the real the real reason why we were doing that. You mind if I ask you a question? What made you decide to leave government, city government, and I, I guess it was city government, right? I mean, yeah. technically, yeah. Mm -hmm. what, what made you make that leap? What was it that, that made you go to the, to the Jacobs Foundation? Sure. Well, I mean, if you look at city government, um, the, way, the way you, perf you measure your effectiveness mm -hmm. is through a set of... Um, I mean, there's a matrix to it. Mm -hmm. In my case, um, 
you know, it's not about turning a profit, mm -hmm. but but it's about um, addressing the need at the time. Right. So when I work for the Jacob Center, the premise of of creating the clean and safe program was was um, in in two pieces. One, the clean side was for us to um, take over the maintenance of downtown mm -hmm. from city government mm -hmm. because the property owners felt the private sector could do a better job, public right away, parks and so on and so forth, mm -hmm. using special assessment. And the safe part was for us to deal with the, uh, the influx of, of, of homelessness and the increasing homeless issue in downtown San Diego. Okay. And so the idea was the property owners were, were, were putting their own private dollars into a privately funded program, mm -hmm. but they, they wanted um, the governance to be not by the city government, but by the property owner. They wanted to make sure that these funds are being used for what they were designed for. Okay. So, so they wanted control. They, they wanted local control, right? Um, so I was, on the one hand, I, I, I was directly tied with city government, mm -hmm. but my employers were the pro property owners. Right. I reported to them. Right. So my job was to, to cross that bridge between city government and private investment and manage these funds, which by the way, at the time, uh, and I'm talking 2000, our annual operating budget was in excess of $5 million a year. So we're not talking about pocket change. Right. My guess is that budget is tune of about $10 million. That's what the property owners were spending above and beyond what we used to call the baseline level of service. Right. So how, how I used to measure my effectiveness, I was if there was a matrix attached to right. it, right? Um, and what made me kind of um, move out of that and go into the foundation world mm -hmm. was a, the funding source wasn't from a private property owner. Okay. The funds at the Jacob Center were set aside for philanthropic purposes. Gotcha. So, so my performance measurements were different. I gotcha. Over here, it was how many lives are we changing? Sure. Over here, well, how effective did we move the homeless individual from this block to five blocks on the other side? Yeah, and for people, just real quick, for people that don't know, that are listening, that don't know, Southeast San Diego. Southeast San Diego, if you look up blight in the dictionary, there's a picture of Southeast San Diego. Absolutely. The way it used to be. It was really in rough shape. One of the one of the most um, one of the, the, the most severe underinvested communities in San Diego County. Yeah. Yet only fifteen minutes out of downtown San Diego. Yeah. And it was it was it was quite something at the time. I remember when I when I first went for the interview and I'm gonna be honest with the viewers, I had never been there. Yeah. Because I had no reason to ever want to go to Southeast San Diego. Well, I had been to Southeast San Diego and I can tell you from experience. Yeah. <laughs> and I place you go to. And I remember at the time Willingly anyway. Yeah. At the time I was standing at the at the corner of um, Euclid Avenue and Market Street mm -hmm. and they used to refer to it as the four corners of that, mm -hmm. which is where all the rival gangs mm -hmm. used to meet. So the conditions were, were quite bad. Yeah. Uh, but the Jacob Center decided that they were going to make that um, where they were going to make massive amounts of investments because right. they didn't want to make a small change. They were looking for a big change. Yeah. And to make big change, they realized that it, it takes massive commitment. Uh, so they brought the resources and they brought a small team of us mm -hmm. with very specialized skill set. Yeah. But the idea was for us to employ majority of the employees and project managers and boots on the ground from the community so that they were learning along the way as we were developing projects and building buildings and so on and so forth. So what was the biggest difference between what you did before and working with the Jacobs Foundation? The difference was instead of me reporting to a powerful property owner in downtown that said, hey, listen, I don't care what it takes get those bums out of here. Mm -hmm. I don't care where you put them. Right. Versus when I worked for the Jacob Center, I was reporting to our, to our board and they were there for the long haul. They were not there to move any homeless people. They were there to, to really empower yeah. the community residents um, to improve their own life through a set of practices, training, and so on and so, so forth. So it feels like one, what your previous was 
let's move them down the way. The other one was, let, how can we how can we uplift the entire community? Exactly. Right? How can we make the yeah. whole community yeah. better? And that has a ripple effect. That has an effect on everybody. And you know, coming coming from the humble background that I came from, I think working at the Jacob Center, it, it certainly made that connection for me because mm -hmm. I kind of sort of saw myself years back. Mm -hmm. Although I lived in a in a loving family, but I lived in a similar community. There were no opportunities. Right. And had I not left, I probably would have been stuck there. Right. So I think going in there now as a professional, having the opportunity and the resources mm -hmm. to be able to do something about it, I think was very appealing to me. Yeah. And it doesn't surprise me. I met Erwin Jacobs. Uh, happened to meet him at the at the Borrego Springs Visitor yeah. Center with his wife. Yeah. And I was thoroughly impressed. Yeah. Thoroughly impressed. Yeah. And he literally looked at me and said, How did you know it was me? How did you know <laughs> I was here? I said, Your car's out, out front. Yeah. What? I said, Nobody else in the in the parking lot has a CDMA yeah. license plate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Quite a quite we had a, a nice visit. Quite an individual, yeah. Nice guy. That's awesome. So you're with so you're with Jacobs for ten years. Ten years. And then what happens? Then I I, I kind of got this craving, and, and by then I had been in the nonprofit world, if you will, if you will, you know, local government, nonprofit, foundation, collectively for a good 16, 17 years yeah. of my life. Yeah, good job. And I remember at the time I, I had just turned 50, and and I think my entrepreneurial DNA was kind of calling out to me, saying, you know what, it's time for you to jump back in the in the for-profit side. Um, so I decided to to um, to end that career, mm -hmm. and um, and my wife was a realtor at the time. Mm -hmm. She had been a realtor for a while, and and um, and I was thinking, okay, what am I going to do next? And you know, by then I obviously I had perfected some of my business skills. Mm -hmm. um, I was thinking more clear. I had more resources available. I wanted to do something meaningful. Right. Just didn't know what that was, and. Um, so, so my wife and I decided that, hey, you know what, maybe it's time for us to work together. So that's when we, uh, she was a realtor and I had been investing in real mm -hmm. estate. And remember, I worked for a nonprofit developer, you mm -hmm. know, Jacob Center. So I was around commercial development, kind of mm -hmm. large scale development, the planning side of it. So I had this unique set of skills, which I thought we could apply. Mm -hmm. And um, shortly thereafter, you know, we ended up acquiring a real estate franchise. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, before you know it, you know, we had an office. We mm -hmm. had, you know, 150 plus agents that mm -hmm. we had to care for. And, yeah. and, um, and we've been going at it ever since. But you asked earlier about, um, I, you know, along the way, and of course, uh, you know, I had acquired a taste for, for public office. Mm -hmm. and. I, I liked it, I didn't like it, but there was something that was appealing to me. And I think the idea was, if I could ever be in a position where I could make some significant changes, mm -hmm. I, wanted, I wanted to be the guy who would do that. I just right. didn't know how I would do it. Because mm -hmm. in business, the, the ultimate driver in business um, success is, you know, you want to run a profitable company. Mm -hmm. Yes, you, you employ people, you create opportunities and all that. but. Your job at the end of the day, the 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 the, the matrix Make is how profitable you are, yeah, right? Exactly. That that's how they you're judged by. Mm -hmm. um, how you keep score. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So so of course, you know, I had I had I had moved to the city of Chula Vista and you know, I was running businesses here and then I was involved with, you know, I I was appointed as a planning commissioner mm -hmm. and so here I go again. I'm, I'm getting sucked back to the world government. And people said, oh, tell me more about that. Tell me more about that. And so I, so I, I woke up one day and, and I said, you know what? I think I should run for public office. Mm -hmm. Of course, people had been telling me about it and mm -hmm. whispering in my ear. And I remember I talked to my wife and... Um, she goes, here we go again. You another crazy idea, but if that's what you want to do, fine. I'm, Never you have my support, you know. And uh, that that that's that's so my wife. She goes, sure, if you want to do that, let's go do it. Um, so I did 
Uh, I did run for Chula Vista City Council. It was a campaign. I never expected to win. Mm -hmm. um, but it's something that I wanted to do. So, so I campaigned for a good year, year and a half, and of course I did not win. Uh, but it was one of those experiences that I, that I wouldn't change it for the world. Mm -hmm. um, the relationships I, I, I built, the friendships that I made along the way, the things that I learned, mm -hmm. how I changed my perspective, um, I, I will not trade that for anything. I think it was an amazing, really, really hard, some valuable lessons, some mm -hmm. hard lessons, mm -hmm. uh, some things that um, I wouldn't wish on anyone. Mm -hmm. Um, but it just, it, you know, one of the, a chapter in, in my life that, that I, that I speak about often. What was the number one thing you learned running for office? <laughs> so the one thing that I learned is much like business, running for office is about winning. Mm -hmm. And, and I, like most people that, that get inspired, you know, we come up with ideas and, and we just want to go in there and change the world and we come up with all kinds of, you know, policies and, but that's not what it's about. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't win, mm -hmm. you don't get to do any of that. Mm -hmm. That's true. So, so what I learned is um, to run for public office, A, you have to have a really good platform. Mm -hmm. You have to have a very clear message and a compelling reason why you're running. Mm -hmm. And B, you have to have a really good marketer. Mm -hmm. So I think that's when my marketing skills, being in business, kind of sort of came to play. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I used to, I, you know, a lot of people still, man, it's like, Who's your marketing? That's why you're looking at it, because mm -hmm. you know. Um, and then other things that I learned is uh, politics really wasn't what I thought it was. Mm -hmm. It was something very different. Do you um, it was. It was um, that to make to make a change, mm -hmm. um, it had to start with you. Mm -hmm. So I think I went in thinking that I was going to change the world, but really it's. It was me that really was changed along the way, if that okay. makes sense. Okay. And that you had to be open to this idea of changing, that you couldn't go in there with this rigid set of ideas, uh, that that's not how communities work, that's okay. not how they thrive. That at best, if you're lucky enough to win, your job first and foremost is to become a listener. Mm -hmm. Your job is to listen, mm -hmm. to learn, mm -hmm. And learn as much as you can about their constituents. It's about your ideas, mm -hmm. but it's about taking all of their ideas and then use your intellectual property to then be able to build consensus. Because mm -hmm. if you know anything about local government, um, you know you need the majority vote mm -hmm. to do anything. It's all about. So consensus. you could you could be full of ideas, mm -hmm. but if you're not able to build those critical relationships, then you really can't do anything. Mm -hmm. um, and and politics can be very complex mm -hmm. because you are dealing with um, emotions, you're dealing with multiple personalities mm -hmm. and lots of different interests. Yeah, Everybody and the district that I ran in had a population of about 65,000 people, mm -hmm. of which maybe 20% of them voted. Mm -hmm. Some were very vocal mm -hmm. and some were completely didn't Quiet. care at all. Yeah, you never heard from them. Yeah. But nonetheless, I mean, and, and, and the city of Chula Vista that I ran in a very diverse community mm -hmm. with, with, with um, rich history and culture, just learning all of that, understanding all of it, and be able to make um, a set of policy decisions that you hope and pray that you're making the right decision because mm -hmm. essentially every decision that you make is going to impact somebody's life. Yeah, so that's true. One way ton of responsibilities, um, very complex at times. Uh, but really what happened was I didn't change anything. The mm -hmm. process really changed me, mm -hmm. which I'm grateful because I think it was an opportunity um, that allowed me to, to see the world in a very different way. Mm -hmm. um, but my desires then were no different than they are today. I really wanted to find a way to, in some way, to give back uh, to a community that gave so much to me. Because mm -hmm. remember, I came here as an immigrant with mm -hmm. nothing. Yeah. Zero. Ground zero. Mm -hmm. and, and have been able to, you know, uh, to build a life for myself, for mm -hmm. my family. 
as I felt that, you know what, if, if, if there was an opportunity where I could do something mm -hmm. beyond just running, you know, a network of companies, I would welcome it. Right. And, um, and I tried it and I'm glad that I did. And yeah. I encourage other people to do the same if that is what you desire to do. So I have one question for you and then we'll move on to the next subject. If you, if you had it to do over again, what would you do differently? You mean running for office? Mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to give you a very candid answer. Okay. Because I'm a very candid person. I got that. At the time, people <laughs> told me that um, the office that I was running in wasn't the right position for me. Okay. Why is that? Uh, because they felt my skill set was probably designed um, to do something even bigger. Okay. Because uh, remember, I, by the time I ran for office, I had extensive mm -hmm. management, business background, finance, relationship building, and I had served as a planning commissioner, so I really knew the city government. At the time, folks encouraged me to actually run for the mayor position. Okay. Uh, because they said, look, we know you, and we know in order to make... Um, sustainable changes you need to run for that but at the time i didn't have the level of confidence but in retrospect i probably should have mm -hmm. i think i would have had a better chance mm -hmm. because in the city of chula vista the mayoral race it's citywide yeah. council districts are just like, just, just a district, small yeah. district and um so if i was to if i was to do it all over again i probably would would change it up a little bit okay. Uh, for the reasons that I stated, mm -hmm. um, but you know, at the time it, it felt the the right thing to do, and and I was willing to go in and do the you know roll up my sleeves mm -hmm. and you know go walk the beat, and and I did, yeah. you know, knocked on doors and talked to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, in politics, it's not it's not what you know, it's who you know. Mm -hmm. You have to have the name recognition, which I didn't. Mm -hmm. I had a um, kind of a different last name that most people said, huh, you know, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't have party endorsements, mm -hmm. you know, I wasn't taking money from a bunch of people. I didn't have any of those. I, I wanted to go in that race with, with no baggage and just do the work. Right. Um, and I'm glad I did what I did, um, but that's not how you win. Yeah. Uh, so, so if I was to do it again, I would probably change it up a little bit. Mm -hmm. I would probably build a, a bigger kind of a network alliance of, alliance of people around mm -hmm. me, um, and then um, and just just work hard at it. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean I will do it because I've, I've been asked that question, mm -hmm. and the answer has been no. Okay. Because um, I'm getting to a point in my life where I want to slow things down a little. Bit, I got so. you. I got you. That's fair. Yeah. So you run for office, and then what? Ran for office, that didn't work. Along the way, you know, continued to run, run our companies. And, um, and one thing led to another. And, um, you know, companies grew. We changed things up a little bit along the way. And I decided to really lean into entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. And fast forward to where we are today, you know, we launched what we call the Hub at Eastlake. Mm -hmm. Which we're sitting in, by the way. Which we're sitting in. Yeah, we're actually in the building. It's so, impressive. This is fifteen thousand square feet. Is that almost right? fifteen thousand square feet. Yeah. It's a it's a um, kind of a co working space mm -hmm. where we've headquartered a network of our own companies. We have an event space here. We have a co working. We have co working spaces. And there's, a studio, Jan, there's a studio here. There's, there's an escrow a, company there's here. A there's a mortgage studio. company here. There's, there are going to be, from what I understand, attorney offices yes. and, and accountant offices other, here. Other, other tenants, other type of uses. Yeah. And so it really is a hub. It is. It yeah. really is. A lot of people say you guys have created the hub of real estate. Mm -hmm. That's one way of looking at it. I think that's a way I, I call this, we've created a hub for this community. Yeah. Um, and I'm certainly not the, the first person who came up with this idea, but we've never had anything like this in the mm -hmm. city of Chula Vista. True. This is the first of something of this caliber. Um, so we're, we're excited that we brought it here to the city of Chula Vista, which has been our home for 20 plus years. Mm -hmm. um, and starting in January, we're going to roll out our membership, okay. which allows people, um, Chula Vista is home to 
probably the largest concentration of um, home-based businesses, people okay. that work remotely. So this is going to offer them an opportunity to have a place where they can meet with clients and use all the facilities and and uh, all the resources that are available. So like a WeWork kind of thing. Kind of a WeWork okay. kind of a thing, but okay. but you know we, we gave it a little different twist. Yeah. Uh, and the different twist is that we actually have a um, multi-purpose center mm -hmm. where you could hold events up to about 150 people. And in mm -hmm. fact, we've already had several industry networking events, uh, private events, places to celebrate those special occasions. Mm -hmm. um, and the energy here is, is absolutely amazing. It really is. And um, so if you go on, you know, we're, we're pretty uh, involved in social media because mm -hmm. we wanted to make sure that people that haven't been here have an opportunity to kind of get a sense of uh, how things are shaping up. So that's been, what, you know, the project that's kept me busy for the last three years. Mm -hmm. You know, it took two years to design, to finance, and really kind of create the concept. Mm -hmm. And then the build out, so we opened our doors um, a little less than a couple of months ago. If you haven't been here, you need to come see it. It's the it's the hub of East Lake. It is really cool. Yeah, really and, cool. And, well, thank you for saying that. Yeah, I, I do. I do encourage you to to come see us in person, and, and certainly visit our website, thehubofeastlake.com. Mm -hmm. I think you'll you'll see a good good sense of what what happens here uh, day in day out. I've been on your website. It's nice. Yeah. So talk to me about the movement to real broker. I will say, um, I won't say too much about it because that's certainly not my area of expertise. I think uh, Claudia will, will be able to elaborate on that more. We'll but I'll, I'll say time. this. Um, I, I met the founder of, of real brokerage a couple of years ago, a gentleman, uh, which, I, which I found you know, to be a, a, a breath of fresh air. Mm -hmm. Uh, once in a while, you come across people that look at world, look at the world differently. Mm -hmm. They look at business differently, mm -hmm. and he's definitely one of those individuals. I agree with that. What I liked about him the most was his his philosophy, his ideologies about how to run a business. Mm -hmm. That companies can can succeed at a very high level, but at the same time have a social responsibility. Mm -hmm. So I connected with that because mm -hmm. I grew up in that environment. Yeah, because typically, you know. Um, For-profit companies do really, really well over here, and then they give a bunch of their money to a group of people here that do good things in the world. Mm -hmm. I think his philosophy, and I certainly don't want to speak for him, but that's what I got out of it. Mm -hmm. He felt that you could do both at the same time. Mm -hmm. And that was always my desire. I said, if I was to build a company, and that's certainly what I've done here at the Harvard Institute, that. Yeah. that we built a company that's built on the premise of profitability because mm -hmm. businesses have to be profitable in order for us to pay our bills and employ people, but that there's a social mission. There's mm -hmm. a, there's a, there's there's a deeper a meaning, yeah. there's a purpose to it. Mm -hmm. And I felt that real brokerage had, had um, succeeded at creating a company that had a real purpose. And of course, the back end, the, the technology platform and everything that you know, I wanted to see in a company was all in one place. So it, it, it was, um, I found it to be an interesting business model. And of course, at the time we were running a, you know, kind of more of a traditional brick and mortar. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, the world of real estate has changed. Technology is right. allowing people to access information mm -hmm. much faster. So we knew that we had to innovate, mm -hmm. that the old way of doing business just wasn't cutting it. Right. And of course, pandemic happened, and that really, I think, expedited my thinking. Yeah. I think Everybody is, started rethinking things. I think I, this is something that I would have done, but maybe a few years down the road, and I think um, the pandemic just simply um, kind of changed the timeline. Mm -hmm. So we decided to, to make that move. Uh, we certainly enjoyed you know, uh, owning and managing a more traditional brokerage. We learned a lot from it. But we felt the time had come for us to move into a different platform so that our agents could do better, there was better payouts for them, technology platform was, was, was better and easier to use. But I think most importantly, Claudia and I really made a personal connection mm -hmm. with this idea that this is a company that is destined to grow beyond its current footprint. Yeah. Um, but it has a very unique philosophy built into it, which I think 
it was it was designed mm -hmm. from the beginning that way. Yeah. Um, this idea of the company has to have a purpose, mm -hmm. and for us, it's you know it's very simple. It's work hard and be kind, mm -hmm. which are the two most essential uh, components or ingredients of a successful company. Mm -hmm. um, so we made that transition, and and it's been a wonderful experience so far, mm -hmm. and. Um, and I'm sure Claudia will tell you more about it. Yeah, we'll get into more detail with her. Yeah. So, is there anything else that you'd like to cover before we wrap up? Well, first off, thank you for for when you asked me to do this. And so why me? I don't know. <laughs> I'm just a I'm just a you know a, a guy who gets up in the morning and, and goes and tries to solve problems. Uh, but thank you for giving me the opportunity to share with your listeners a little bit about my personal story. But I'll tell you, my story is not unique. Yeah. My story is one of hundreds and thousands of, mm -hmm. of people that really come to this country with this idea of all I'm looking for is an opportunity, mm -hmm. but not just an opportunity, but they're willing to work hard. Yeah. And I'm here to tell you that I'm a living testimony to that. Yeah. That if you believe it, yeah. and you're willing to do the work, the results will show up. Well, you said it, work yeah. hard, be kind. That's really kind of your life story. And that's what I'm trying to be along the way. I haven't yeah. all, you know, I haven't always, done things the, the, the right way, but my intent has always been do well for yourself and, and, and help others do well. And to this day, that's how we, we run our companies. And if you spend a little time around here, I think you'll, you'll see that uh, to be evident all around. Yeah. So, um, so for, for those of you that have this desire to be an entrepreneur, I'd say have no fear. Mm -hmm. And the world uh, it's just as wonderful today that it, that, than it was when I started. Exactly. Uh, yes, it's different, um, but in some ways there are bigger opportunities available. Mm -hmm. um, so again, um, thank you, Mike. I appreciate you having me on your show, and uh, until we talk again. Thanks again, buddy. All right. Appreciate you. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. We hope you enjoyed another episode of the Mike Litton Experience. If you did, do us a favor, smash that subscribe button, tell your friends, family, and coworkers about our program, and wherever you get your podcasts, please leave us a rating. It helps us to connect with quality people just like you. And that's a wrap. Another episode of the Mike Litton Experience in the books. Reach out to Mike on Instagram at Litton Realty. Want to meet with Mike? Check out calendly.com slash Rio 760.